Hello, welcome to Minding Your Mind. Our podcast is all about your mind and how it works and mental illness and mental health. With me is Professor Ian Hickey, psychiatrist and co-director of the Brain and Mind Centre at the University of Sydney. Now, when you're experiencing a period of poor mental health, you want to get better, obviously. You might see a doctor, a counsellor, a psychologist. You might try medication. You might try different medications, a bit of trial and error till you find you and your doctor find what works. You might try thought-based strategies. For example, if you're anxious, you might try to remind yourself how unlikely the feared event like a shark attack actually is. Or you might try and identify when you are catastrophizing and remind yourself that the consequences of, say, losing your job maybe won't be as disastrous as you're imagining. You might also try behavior-based strategies like taking care of your body clock, exercise, diet, getting some sunlight every day, etc. And probably some of those strategies, medical, thought-based, behavioral, will work, and some of them won't. If you get better, great. But then in five years' time, what if you have another episode, you try to remember what worked last time and what didn't. Maybe you can remember, but maybe you can't quite because the whole previous episode was really unpleasant and you've kind of tried to put it out of your mind. So if you can't remember what worked and what didn't, it's back to the drawing board, more trial and error, which is all a powerful argument, isn't it, for keeping records of your own and family members' interactions with the mental health system and progress through periods of poor mental health, medications, tests, and the strategies we try and how successful they all are. Ian, no one likes keeping records of anything, really. It's not fun. And it's probably even more unpleasant when you're anxious or depressed or have another mental health condition, why should we do it with our mental health? Because your life depends on it. Well, that's a good answer. I mean that in a really serious way around staying alive and then also quality of life. Mm. You might think that the health system, like many other systems like banking and travel and everything else, has got its records and its information about you together and available Mm. and continuously uses that to inform the next decision. Oh, that it was so. It ain't true. I don't know about you, James, but I've spent a lot of time over Christmas and the new year of this year assisting family, relatives, friends to try and negotiate the health system, you know, to get medications, to get contact with things, being told, oh, go to your GP or hope your pharmacist has got a record or me saying to them, what were you taking and is that the one that worked or was that some other one? And people have some name they can't pronounce of some drug that was made up by some drug company with X's and Z's and can't, is in English and got no idea and it's easily mixed up with some other drug that sounds the same but isn't the same and they're not really sure what it did or what it was for and they're not really sure, becoming a key point, whether it was the one that helped mm. or helped for what <laughs> or why they were doing the particular thing. So our system is intrinsically like that and you said another really important thing is that those in the mental health system are particularly vulnerable. Because they, you know, actually have an experience themselves when they were very unwell, trying to remember what worked, what they were given, what had the most side effects, why they were taking various things is really hard Mm. to remember or focus on when you are actually distressed, when you're actually suffering, you're going into particular areas. And it does really matter. Sadly, many people who have had experiences that many of my relatives have had of going to emergency departments over the holiday period, again, with a variety of different physical health and mental health kind of difficulties. And, you know, it's not straightforward. 
you know, it's, it's fairly straightforward if you've broken an arm or you're bleeding or yeah. something to do the immediate kind of thing. But in many more complicated medical situations and in mental health situations, it's not straightforward. So the reality is that what you might think are the medical record systems or the doctor systems or the information systems to share this key information isn't there. And who really cares? I thought that, you know, didn't some of us, not all of us, but some of us consent to. My health record. Yes. So this has been going on. I think I might have told the story before, but I'll tell it again. I've almost been thrown out of Mr. Rudd's 2020 summit Mm. in 2008 because the government at the time was committed to the development of my health record. All these health agencies, doctors, Mm. hospitals, pathologists, radiologists, they'd all talk to each other and transfer information in real time if you just let them. Yeah. And we pointed out at the time it wasn't really going to happen because health information isn't really like that. Key information is held by the person themselves. So when we say my health record, the government is really – it's really – it's not really your health record. It's their health record. It's being held by all those different agencies. Mm. Some of the information is accurate. Some of it's not. Some of it's complete. Much of it is incomplete. Much of it does not include the critical bit you said. Did the thing actually work? So, what so, was the experience of having that actual treatment? So if I go to my GP and get put on an antidepressant mm-hmm. and then I get better and go off it, then five years later, if I go back to the same GP, they'll, they'll have a record. Surely hope, they'll have a You record. hope. You hope. They may or may not, and with the, with the development of electronic prescribing, which certainly GPs have been much better at than many of my specialist colleagues, mm. there may be some record. But you said the next thing. There'll be, what's likely is there'll be a whole bunch of medications there and doses. Whether they actually helped or not, <laughs> whether you had side effects or not. You mean if you try three antidepressants? Yeah. yeah. So the average person who comes and sees me, if you go and look at my electronic prescribing system, mm. many of those people will have multiple medications. It won't necessarily tell you the sequence. It won't necessarily track how effective they were. And it won't necessarily track what major side effects they particularly had. Right. What were you taking it for? Mm. Were you taking it for sleep? Were you taking it for mood? Were you taking it for fatigue? Were you taking it for obsessional thoughts? What did it work for and what did it not? And here's the big divergence between what doctors and others do, so-called clinical guidelines. They're following a kind of, I don't want to say recipe book, but let's say a guide First try this, second try that. It's rather average. (laughs) On average, try this one. On average, switch to that one. On average, for a person with a sleep problem, try this. And they're sort of working their way down that. But you need to be waving your hands and feet and face around going, hang on a second, that one at that dose really did help me. Okay. So go back to the GP. Uh, I go to the GP. We try three antidepressants. One of them works. Five years later – She's retired. I go to another GP, but I'm assuming that because I've consented to my, what is it? My health record. My health record. My new GP can just log into some record. And, and what are they going to see? Well, will they? If they're lucky. Now, I must say. But people, they will technically get access to my old GP's file. No, 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 no. They get no. What's on my health record? You've got to go in there and see what's in there. What's mainly in there is things like x-rays and blood tests and pathology results and hospital discharges, okay. not so, detailed clinical so, notes. So then if my GP puts me on an antidepressant, mm. what does she have to do to get that on my health record? Well, what? Firstly, what's the record that she is keeping and, and then how much does it record the same information? Mm. There's Including no standard the information. No, no. But Don't look so shocked, but no, yes. Well, well, I think <laughs> it's an important shocked. point. If I go to the GP and she puts me on antidepressant, how likely is it that that 
piece of information, James on X, will be on my health record. So the uh, depending on what's been held about medications, it may or may not be there. Like and depending on where 50, it was provided. 50? No, less. Really? You'd have to go back to that GP. Now, the uploading of it, this is all a work in progress, okay? So the, the, the attempt to develop these continuous health records mm. top-down by government is well-intentioned. Sure. But, but it ain't but that effective. But wouldn't the most basic step in it be to ensure that medications your GP puts you on are on that record? Wouldn't that be the most, like the literally the first thing that so GPs, anyone- So GPs have, yeah. well, actually, I'll tell you, the, above GPs, pharmacists are the best at this, actually. Hmm. So the pharmacists, at least knowing the name of the medication that you were on and at least having that uploaded and the date and hopefully the dose will eventually be in most of those records. But right at the moment, the next critical step of that did it actually work? Yeah. To what degree? For what problem? At what dose? And at what cost? Mm. What was your actual experience of that? No. Okay. But but first bit of takeout information is don't assume that stuff you bought at a pharmacy or stuff your GP put you on is going to be on your My Health record. Easily found and easily used at that particular time or checked. Mm. I don't want to get into the issue of medication errors, but here I go, I'll get into the issue of medication errors. Medication errors happen all the time in hospitals, in our system. One drug that sounds like another drug, one drug that's been replaced by another drug, an equivalent because we have uh, drugs with particular names, but we also have generic versions of those drugs in Mm. particular ways. Mistakes get made all the time in substitution of one for another and in doses for one for another of similar sounding or confusion about which ones you said you were taking or which ones you said actually worked. Yeah. And, and of course, practice changes. Mm. Now, what was appropriate five years ago may or may not, but the why and wherefore really does matter. Mm. So this this tracking of records, medication being really at the top, but you made a very important point as we started, not just medications, which sorts of psychological therapies, which sorts of behaviour therapies. Mm. Well, we'll get to them. But yes. I, I think it's really important that people – like when I go to my accountant every year, I walk out saying, I've given him all the stuff. It's up to him now. It's totally fine. You know, I trust him. He's got all the information. I don't have to copy it all. You know, he'll he'll send me the tax return. I'll pay it or get money back or whatever the case is, that's all fine. Um, uh, and I think that's a reasonable thing. And how does he do that these days? I, don't know. I mean, they were always good at it. I yeah. Love, I love accountants. They always had ledgers and yeah. they put things in neat columns. And lawyers too. They get like, receipts. I used to be a lawyer. You have a file on anything. You never chuck anything away. Everything goes in the file. Uh, lawyer files, I think we can get into a different argument about, but at least <laughs> but at least the idea there was a file was coherent yeah. about the particular case. What happened when there were 10 lawyers involved? What happened when you changed lawyers? Oh, when when you went true. to, you know, you went to different parts of the system? Hmm. Were, were the police holding the same things? Were the courts holding the same thing? Because the health system isn't just you and a provider. Yeah, it's true. It's different sets of things that you need. Mm. as you move across. Interestingly, my health record is the government attempt. Many well, pro- one thing that would happen in the legal system, someone would get arrested overnight in the city when I was a legal aid lawyer and you find out that they had an outstanding warrant, warrant. from Parramatta Court. And very simple, they'd fax it across back when I was a Exactly. Yeah. The facts, oh my God, the facts still exist. I still have a fax in my office. Can mm. you believe it? But I think the point is anyway that I shouldn't walk away from the GP – but my GP's ex 
excellent, but just generally, you shouldn't necessarily walk away from the GP as you might from the accountant. Like, I walk away from the accountant saying- Confident. Confident. The information has been logged. Yeah, GP, Held. not necessarily. You should be walking away thinking- Not blaming GPs here. It's not just GPs. Your GPs, pharmacists, hospitals, you get discharged from hospital. I read hospital discharge summaries all the time. Guess what? They're not accurate. Right. They say stuff that didn't happen. They say stuff's incorrect. They, wow. It's a doctor's account of a thing. They may or may not actually have it correct. A rushed doctor. It's a rushed system. It's mm. a system under pressure trying to record information. And a lot of that information is more complex than it seems. Oh, yeah. Including, did it work? Did it have side effects? How long did it continue for? And you usually can't say that for a few weeks. Exactly. So you need to know what actually happened. So the system interacts with you in very short episodes, prescribes drug X, deals with emergency Y, does whatever, puts a little bit of information in, does not track what actually was the outcome of that. I've just been involved in another national political argument with Prize James about tracking outcomes in mental health. Right. And the great reluctance of my professional colleagues to track outcomes is unbelievable. Does oh, why do we have to do that? Oh, we can't do that. I go, look, I know you're not very good at it, but you know who is good at it? The patient's. If we provide the tools, as we do now through, I'm about to wave my mobile phone around, through all sorts of apps and all sorts of other things for them to track, mm. they care. Me- so-called is a thing in medicine called measurement-based care. L- using information about whether something works as the basis for the next decision. Seems right. logical, doesn't it? Very. You'd have to have the information, though. Yes. And you'd have to track it over time. Yes. I think I've made the comment before. I love the sort of activity trackers where people tell me, I tell them all this sleep-wake cycle stuff, be physically active. They go do that. They come back and they show me off their phone what they've been doing. I say, I did all that. And uh, Dr. Hickey, it didn't work. <laughs> I go, right. So Fair you, enough. I prescribed it. You did it. It didn't work. We're going to have to make use of that. Mm. My favorite thing to tell people to do in your situation did not work. Mm. Or I prescribed drug X, believing that it would improve your sleep. Here's the information now from the app tracker you've been using or your self-report over the next six weeks, and your sleep was rotten. <laughs> okay. So while that works for a lot of people, it didn't work for you. Or I did prescribe drug X. And this, I mean, famously, a young guy I saw, he said, you know, that drug I went on, I put on, and he said this rather loudly, I put on 10 kilos in the last six weeks. And I said, oh, come off it. You couldn't, you know, like, you know, we sort of forget how a big guy. Mm. So the idea he'd put on 10 kilos wasn't really obvious right. to me. And I thought 10 kilos in six weeks, you know, possibly not. Out he pulls out the weight chart. Very good. <laughs> right? Yeah. The power went, of information. I went, okay, <laughs> it's really true. You mm. did put on 10 kilos on that new drug in six weeks. Wow, boy, big problem. So although the drug for the problem that we were treating worked very well, the side effect profile associated with that with him was disastrous, yeah. not a continuing particular thing. This is the power of real-time information back from users of systems and then continuity over time. The important point you made about episodes of care, mm. knowing what works and having confidence, having worked out, gone to all the trouble to work out in a particular episode, and what works go, for you. What happened again? And then you go and see, I could strangle some of my – I'm a bit emotional this morning, aren't I? I'm a bit worked up about what's happened to various of my relatives over the Christmas period, you know, right. <laughs> as they encounter the health system and they go in and I say, did, 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 did they contact the doctor looked after you? No, 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 no. Did they contact a relative? No, no. Were the relatives able to provide information from those other? No, well, they'd gone home over Christmas to other relatives and they didn't really know about what had necessarily happened. I said, so what? So the system did something 
actually information blind. Yeah. Crazy. On the basis of what? Of what the person said, you know, acutely presenting to an emergency department in the middle of the night, whatever else, and then sort of I go, really? Like, really? What sort of a, you know, and then you get the call, well, that's the best we can do because there isn't any actual thing. So we're not going to say when uh, Mr. Rudd's team wanted to throw me out of um, the 2020 summit mm. back in 2008, myself and a guy from rural health were walking around with USB sticks. <laughs> right. You know what? You know what's better than a billion-dollar top-down government linking system? Buy everyone a USB. <laughs> to keep your Where do you go to the doctor? Say to the doctor, um, there look, it is. here is my USB. Would you mind adding that PDF file or that letter? Would you mind adding that particular thing? to my USB, because I'm going to take my USB with me. <laughs> so that the next doctor I see, or the next health system got I see, on it. it's got everything on it. In fact, many of the bigger companies, Apple, et cetera, we're headed down this particular path of there are your health record being actually your health record and trying to get then providers. Now, this actually ran into a legal problem as well. Most health providers go, no, it's my record, not your record. <laughs> I own the record, and I'm not that comfortable about you actually walking away with it. At least this was a decade ago. That, fortunately, is changing, but it is still – the records okay. are still owned by the health organisation, not by you. Okay. Well, we'll talk about the best way to make one in a tick, but I think there's another important psychological point here. When I go to the doctor for something, say so i got a sore knee, I don't really buy into it. I, I don't think there's this thing I really have to engage with. I think I've got this hassle in my knee. I want to play touch football on the weekend. I go to the doctor, what do I do? Okay, good, that's fixed. It's it's like a an irritating, it's like a flat tire. Do you know what I mean? It's like Fix it. Yeah. Get on with it. And and mental health can be the same. You can think, I'm not sleeping, but I've got all this stuff to do. I'm anxious about this. I'm feeling a bit down, but I've got to keep living my life. And so you go to the doctor, great, they'll they'll give me something that'll fix it. Good, I can forget about that problem. But often mental health isn't like that. You've really got to buy in and actually psychologically change from I've got a flat tire to I'm not working properly. I've got to stop and think and really examine what this is about and really, you know, think about thought-based strategies, behavioural-based strategies, medication. I've really got to commit to understanding this and trying to get better, right? And I think part of keeping your own record is actually part of that buy-in, isn't it? It's Rather a cognitive than, shift. It's absolutely a shift. Now, it's, it's not like going to the shop and saying, I need some milk, going to the GP, I need something to, you know, put in my coffee, I need something to feel better. It's like you've got to make the milk. So the great medical myth is you come along with a sore knee, we fix it or replace it. Yeah. Done, tire, flat tire, intervention one, problem fixed, off you go, back to new. Most actual health problems in the 21st century aren't like that at all. No. They're chronic health problems. They're relapsing health problems, really serious ones, diabetes, asthma, heart disease. They come and they go in various episodes. You've got to track the information. So it's part of being active, not passive. Totally. I'm not going to them to fix me. I'm not passive. I'm part of this process and I'm going to take responsibility for ensuring I know what worked. So I'm going to recruit the best people. Mm. I'm going to recruit the best GP, the best psychologist, the best psychiatrist, the best occupational therapist or education. Well, I'm, I'm going to recruit the team that needs me, right? I, I need them to work with me and they need to be all working from the same information basis. They can't each be able to making up their own story <laughs> about me disconnected from all the rest and then saying, well, I only do this bit. Oh, I'm only the GP. I'm only the emergency department. I'm only the psychiatrist. You know, go forget it. You're actually all got particular skills, all got particular roles to play here about me, please. Mm. And I'd like you all to be working from the same information basis about me. Now, to do that, 
you have to be an active participant. You yeah. have to be an active player. You have to be a partner in care, to use the lingo of the day, a serious, informed partner of the care. And what you've got that they haven't got is information about you. Mm. I'll give you a great example. So uh, when, 20 years ago, I had a big episode of anxiety and I tried all these things and had some cognitive behavioral therapy and, you know, all those strategies about not catastrophizing and, and disputing the anxious thoughts. And they're really good strategies for some people. They didn't work at all for me. The more I disputed the thoughts, the more, the longer the arguments I was having in my head about, will it happen? Won't it happen? It won't happen because of this, but what about this? Blah, blah, blah. And then I read this little thin book by Dr. Claire Weeks. Weeks. And it had this, it was almost kind of slightly mystical, but it was about floating away from thoughts. So rather than arguing with them, it's about seeing them, but just ignoring them, looking away from them. And it's really hard, but if you keep doing it, it, it worked for me. And then five years later, I had another episode and I remember I'd written at the back of my a little notebook that I hadn't put anywhere special, you know, a few pages on what worked and what didn't. And I've eventually found this notebook and that was like gold because I could sort of five years later, I could sort of remember a bit, but not really. So once I found the record, I was, I was saved. I love record, uh, written records. It's a really interesting insight, James. Mm. And I would encourage people to do that at the time, actually. Yeah. You will forget. You think I couldn't possibly forget. You forget three days later. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And critical information and, and – you're distressed at the time. You're in a different mental state. You're in a different place, you know, and it can be quite hard to access that again. And then somebody comes on and goes, oh, what you should do is try a new medication. Why? Or, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy will really work for you. And you're going, oh, and, and you're distressed and these are health professionals. They seem to be saying smart things. So you kind of go along with that. Okay. <laughs> then you go and find the little, whatever it was, a little blue book. Mm. Uh, by the way, the one that works for me <laughs> is that yeah. strategy. And, and uh, I mean, I still have that book. Probably about forty pages, dog-eared, underlined. It was like I was studying for an exam. I just, I just read it and you know focused on. Then I bought all their other books, and they kind of repeat the same. Right, message. and this is why there's a lot of tension in the world I'm in at the moment between what's called lived experience or lived expertise and sort of clinical expertise. The lived experience expertise is your own. What works for you? You yeah. have an expertise in yourself. Mm. Neil Cole, who we've had on this program, talks about how to cope with suicidal thoughts, how to get from one day to the next. That works for him specifically. Now, it may or may not work in the same way for other yeah. people, but boy, in terms of keeping him alive one day to the next in the middle of a serious depressive episode, it works. Now, there's a critical piece of information, hmm. you know, and that's not something that me as a doctor or a psychologist is necessarily going to say to everybody because it wouldn't work the same for everyone. We, hmm. Unless we know someone extremely well over a long period of time, we tend to talk in generalities. We yeah. tend to talk in general on average. Hmm. You're not average. You're you. So if you can make this detailed longitudinal picture of what works, what doesn't work, what's useful, what's not, then you're a, much, you're, you're a genuine partner in the situation. Then recruiting strategies that are likely to help. Here's the problem. What's next or most likely to work? What hasn't worked? And, and every time you add to your record, you're kind of labelling yourself, again, not as a passive recipient of treatment, but an active participant in your own recovery. Here yes. I am today. What am I? What am I recording today about what worked and what didn't? This happened. I felt bad. I did this. Didn't really work. Tried something else. You know, the more active and involved you are, I would imagine, the better uh, the better. outcome. Yeah. So this is happening over 
two people in my life, my wider world at the moment, both young people with type 1 diabetes, severe onset diabetes, who now have these marvellous glucose monitoring things, these things permanently in their arm, attached yeah. to their app, their phone. They're changing their activity levels, their food levels, or constantly. They develop a marvellous continuous picture for monitoring their blood sugar, their blood glucose, and monitoring the situation. Really active monitoring. As a consequence, they can lead very active lives. Yeah. Without doing that, they're in hospital mm. and suffering the short and longer-term serious consequences. Well, I'm afraid to say many mental health problems are very similar. They really need to be dealt with in the same way. Now, we don't quite have the blood glucose monitoring kind of bit, but we have something very important, what you can tell us. Mm. And we need you to use the same kind of apps and tools and processes to go – I need to be working this out. What is the daily routine that keeps me most stable? What's the intervention? Medication, thought process, psychological support, engagement with employment or education. What is it? Others. Also in our world, I might say, the input of family and others, other people providing additional information is also helpful. And this is a bit more controversial as well. I know me best. Yeah. Well, yes. <laughs> but, you know, others can comment too. <laughs> So encouraging others or recruiting others to be part of that process also really helpful because often, you know, that this is- You mean like what were your observations of how I was today? Yeah. Mm. What helped in particular things? What, for example, we have a lot of um, terminology about early warning signs of relapse, right? What are the things Mm. that let you know that you're sliding back into a particular episode? Is it particular behavior? Is it sleep disturbance? Is it not engaging with people? Is it being more irritable or something, you know, that is well observed by others? Mm. And you would concede or you would agree, if that's starting to recur, this is something that I'm not that sensitive to myself, but others can observe about me right. in particular ways. Early Worth noting. And yep. that, that is indicative. And it may be some of the things that we've noted before. It may be that there's a pattern to it, mm. a seasonality pattern, or a particular other in a personal set of patterns, a particular set of circumstances. You know, so this more detailed picture. The other bit of this, I might say, is then encouraging in the medical system further investigation of things that aren't explained. So in the wider world I'm in, we try to use other additional blood tests, additional brain scanning, additional neuropsychological tests to get more information about you that you couldn't necessarily know. And if we get that, to keep it, to have it as part of the record. So building up the most complete picture that we can of you, not of the illness, not of depression, of anxiety, of bipolar disorder, but of you. Mm. What is James's problem? What are the most effective strategies over time to prevent relapse and also to promote recovery? And so, you know, <laughs> I've just traveled around the world again since we last met. Um, and I just love the fact I can take one passport with me that identifies me. And every travel, every airline, every other thing just knows what to do. Mm. <laughs> you know, they can just process a whole lot of stuff. And I sit there and almost in tears at many of these things. If only our health system was as simple as that. If only the information was as simple as that, you know. Mm. It isn't. It isn't. So we've been very slow to build information systems. Like yeah. Horrendously slow. And in the mental health world, there's a lot of reservations. So I was part of a campaign to encourage people to use my health record, and I still remain committed to that. Many people are reluctant to share that information. But also we need the systems themselves to be much, much more person-sensitive, to allow personal information, interaction with the system, so that your comments earlier on about being an active partner are critical. If you want better mental health outcomes, frankly, if you want better health outcomes, you've got to get the yeah. USB, get the record system, use the apps, create your own picture so, so let's get more specific about it. I've done it a couple of ways. 
really easy. One is just a notebook on paper, you know, just going through it and writing stuff. Under The other one is just a Word document on my laptop and just putting everything there. And it doesn't have to be organized because if you just, you know, if you, if you just write it down, tried this today and it didn't work, tried it again for three days in a row and I did feel a bit better. It doesn't have to be all organized and beautiful as a document because five years later, if you're looking at it, you can just search through and you can organize it then. As long as you've just blurted the information out somewhere, you could also do a notes app on your phone. Obviously, um, there are three easy ways of doing it just so you get it down. And I guess the categories are medication, behavior strategies, things like exercise, sleep, this getting your sleep-wake cycle, diet, thought-based strategies, interactions with counseling, went and saw this counselor today, didn't like her, uh, went back the next week, still don't like her, I'm going to try someone else, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, you, you t- spoke about apps, but it can be really simple, can't it? Well, it's interesting about what is simple and what's not simple. This is another big thing in the world at the moment. What is What you described are very active strategies. You know, mm, word strategies, mm. long narrative, keeping detailed notes. But it doesn't have to be long. It's just, you know, a few. Well, but it's detailed and it, but it, it's not easy for others to access. It's, right. good, for, it's good for organizing your thoughts. Yeah. That's very important. So that, I think people reflecting on that and writing is actually very good for organizing their own thoughts. Mm. When you want to share information with others, I'm about to show you, James, my activity patterns. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> right? that's on your This is on one of these smartphone devices. Here's what I've been doing, in fact. In fact, you could do this for the last month, for the last year, yearly averages. So that, that's a step counter, isn't it? That's a step count. Yeah. Right? Now, it has very interesting variations in well its done. activity patterns, going well. right? Yeah. I don't do anything, but it's telling me about my activity mm. in particular ways. Now, it has implications for how active and inactive it is providing information. Ian, you're not so active this year, this month, this week, as you were. It has actually things built in. So, activity. There are similar things for mood. There are similar things for sleep. Some are more passive, so you don't have to do much. You just have to have the thing, and it records like the activity one. Others, you need to make like a daily, just daily. Like imagine mood can't be automatic. You have to no, key in. but you things. might have to key in once a day. Others have uh, sampling things. Like they randomly ask you at different parts of the day, like, how are you feeling now? Right? Mm. So I go, ah, oh, six. <laughs> you know, like, how many text messages do you answer a day? Me, hundreds. Uh, you know, if one of them said, how's your mood now? And I just said six, okay, that's it. Mm. It's not that complicated. But I do that every day and I say, am I six every day? Am I completely you know, unresponsive to, to life? Or am I six, three, nine? You know, like, is there a pattern to it? So if you, you can find these by, I don't know, Googling mood trackers. Yes, mood trackers, sleep trackers, activity mm. trackers, 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 all sorts of other things. Now, this depends on the things that really matter. We, we've been discussing my favorite preoccupations, sleep, wax cycles, and circadian patterns. So I'm interested in 24-hour patterns. I'm interested in monthly patterns. I'm interested in seasonal patterns increasingly. So the smart devices we're surrounded by do this passively or semi-actively in various ways. The great advantage they have is they're communicated easily. It's very easy for me to show you that and you get it immediately. Yeah, it's just you a know, In a particular of, kind of way. Hmm. And, and actually to see over a period of time, if you've started a new treatment, you've started a new intervention, is it actually leading to certain kinds of things? Now, there are other more complex programs of what I like, which are multidimensional. They track several things, mood and activity and function, and they show is everything moving together or are they not? Hmm. Are they relapsing or not? These are incredibly powerful. And I'm involved in research around this kind of stuff with new treatments Who's really benefiting? Who's really not? How long does that benefit last? And then you've created a record. You've created a trace of the thing, right? Yeah. If you ever want to have an argument with a doctor or a health system in the future, just pull out one of these. 
Yeah. Now, well, because- as you said earlier, you can't, you can dispute impressions. Oh, well, you know, a doctor can say, are you sure about that? And you think, oh, am I sure about that? But you can't dispute information. As no, as- and good, observe, objectable information, no. Mm. So, when the, you know, when I say to people, you know, and I, you know, they say they've been active and I go, have you really been active? And I sort of express scepticism and doubt, you know, they go, no, here's my step count. <laughs> you know, mm. I have. On the, by contrast, of course, the feedback. When people say to me, oh, I've been really active, I'm like, oh, great, so let's see the step count. 2,000 steps, you know, 1,000 steps. And they go, actually, well, I wasn't really that active. <laughs> you know? I thought I wanted to be, but I didn't get to the threshold of the particular thing. Or, or another one, which of these is more powerful? You have a fortnightly appointment with a psychologist and their first question is, you know, how have you been since last time? And you say, yeah, overall, but I think I'm feeling a bit better, a couple of down days, but da-da-da. Um, that's answer A. Answer B, well, my average since last the, the previous fortnight uh, was a 6.5 out of 10. Now it's a 7.3 out of 10. It appeared that I had a week where I was averaging 8.5, but then a dip for four days where I was averaging four, then back up to seven, which is a better answer. It's pretty obvious. Yeah, which one does the psychologist want to hear? Now, get a yeah. psychologist up here. Uh, which one does the doctor want to hear? Yeah. I want to hear on average you are okay. And they go and look at the now. This has been really interesting with new apps. Well, no, you don't. I'm going to go. You, you want you want the more detailed information. No, I want to know you better. Right, but isn't it useful to? Of course, it's more useful to know that you weren't really better. It was yeah, highly yeah, variable. Exactly. Of course, That's the truth it. is better. Yeah. In all health, as in many things, <laughs> we want things to be better than they are. Yeah. What's exactly. happening in the app world now? This again, not to be limit this to mental health. For those of us who have the odd heart rhythm abnormality, right? Mm. You can track your heart rhythms with this stuff, right? Yeah. What you find is your heart is more irregular than you think it is. Right. Now, doctors go, oh, we didn't really want to know that. Um, we'd like it to be more regular. In an area that I'm very concerned with, with about suicidal ideation and behaviours, what's been found with apps, if you ask people regularly, so if I say to you, how often have you felt suicidal since I last saw you six weeks ago? And you say, oh, a oh, couple of times. Oh, not much. Not much. Not, and then you go look at the app actual thing. It says 11 times. It says, you know, on average three times a week mm. during that particular period. And on average, and people go, oh. You know, now, you know the first thing that doctors and clinicians say? The app's too sensitive. Do they? <laughs> go, what? <laughs> what do you mean? It's too sensitive. Well, it's picking up things that it shouldn't. Yeah, what? Like how the person really is. Mm. Because what happens when you get into a doctor's room, you agreeable person that you are? Oh, uh, yeah, you want to please them. You want to please them. And, you, want and to, you don't want to overstate the problem. You don't want to overstate it. And you want them. You don't want them to feel like you're saying they did a bad job. Yeah, or they aren't trying or we aren't making progress and whatever. So accuracy of information versus the, you know, the dynamics of what goes on in healthcare aren't the same thing either. Yeah. So this yeah. is really challenging. I use the hard example and other areas examples that are really challenging to find out that people often are not as well as we think they are and that these continuous monitoring type techniques reveal much more about the variability in what's going on. It isn't always rosy and sunny, but importantly, in terms of preventing bad health outcomes, it really matters. Yeah. In another area that's really important to mental health relates to the physical health of people with mental health problems. So there are other things that actually do record uh, what your heart is doing, what other things are doing. So not uncommon experience that people I've looked after, they've gone they the abnormal heart. Said, My heart's doing funny things. And they go, yeah, it's a panic attack. Don't worry about it. You know, blah, blah, blah. They're going to see a cardiologist. Like, well, hang on. Do you actually have a recording of what your heart was doing during those periods or whatever? Mm. 
and suddenly that'd be very useful. Suddenly, yes, it's incredibly useful. So, was that, it a panic attack within what's called sinus tachycardia, your heart beating too quickly, or was it actually an abnormal heart rhythm? So, is there an app that can do that? Yes, there are apps that do that sort of thing too, like now, heart monitoring. Yes, yes, and in fact, I don't advertise particular devices and things, but increasingly, your watch type thing and your phone type thing mm-hmm. and other app type things. So for a lot of people who have mental health problems and physical health problems, it becomes even more important. Because you can see how they interact. You can see what's going on. Mm. You can see what is actually happening in these particular areas. And so people, as, as the situation gets more complex, it becomes even more important to have accurate health information because the physical health problems of people with mental health difficulties are underrated and undertreated. So you should do this for your children, shouldn't you? You should. Um... No, your children should do it for you. Well, at some point, yeah. But if you've got young children, teenage children who are having interactions with the mental health department, particularly if they're teenagers, they might not like being quizzed by you every day, but you can at least record, you know, interactions with doctors, medication prescribed, and your impressions of how they're going. Yes, us older people with chronic health difficulties can encourage younger people that really health information does matter. Mm. I mean, you know, my kids recently asked me, Dad, where are the vaccination records? (laughs) Right. Oh, God, I don't know. You know what happened I've got with a those? i on my laptop. <laughs> if we don't even got a record, I don't know when the last time we did XYZ was, even know who the GP was or which state were you in? Where yeah. were you traveling? That how, person's retired. How many times have I had COVID? <laughs> how many times have I come? When was the last vaccine? Mm. Now, we saw during the vaccination things, you know, much better record systems suddenly having to be put around vaccines. Come back to the prescribing issues, electronic prescribing stuff is rapidly advanced in Australia. Due to COVID, due to the pandemic, we finally did things electronic prescribing that we hadn't done for two decades beforehand in terms of tracking and things. So, so but there have been some things that have happened as a consequence of COVID, which, are, which again are being in weird ways resisted by elements of the professions and health systems that, you know, wanting to go backwards. But fortunately, most of the patient-centred stuff is going forwards. <laughs> Mm. But it still remains the case that that if you want the best possible health care for you and the people you care about, you have got to be central to this information exercise. Is it correct, and I have some anecdotal evidence of this, that some medical centres or GPs won't email but will fax uh, for example, a referral to a patient, a referral to a psychologist, because they're worried about um, hacking and security. Yes. It has to do with, you don't know this, but your government bought faxes for GPs and everybody like 15 years, whatever, I can't remember. Yeah. So everyone's still got one. And then legislation required the thing, get this, to be on paper. So fax is a piece of still? paper. Yeah, yeah. Well, so it wouldn't accept PDF files. Wouldn't. So some of this has actually got nothing to do with hacking. It's got to do with outmoded regulation and practice. However, however, there is a big concern about hacking of health, digital health systems, because all this information is now moving around in the cloud and in systems. It's not locked in cupboards, it's locked behind clinic doors, etc. Mind you, it wasn't that confidential and private then, but at least it couldn't be accessed in quite the same way. So security concerns for health information, and health information is a target of hacking whether it's through health insurers, which we've seen in Australia recently, or through other physical things. So, But this is the same as banks. This is the same as travel. I mean, someone said to me recently, really, how much of your health information do you think anyone else is really interested in? You well, know? I, I have heard a story of a kid who was sick and had to get a note for school because there was some exam or something, did a Zoom appointment with the GP. Yeah, fine, da-da-da. Great, can you email the certificate? 
uh, no, we can fax it. Oh, we last had a fax in our home 15 years ago. Um, or you'll have to come and collect it. Like serious? Well, if the school has a fax, cause they're, can you fax it to them? Well, if they have a fax, we won't email it to them. There's just a, like the most innocuous thing saying, kid A has a cold, can't do the exam today. I mean, that's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Well, me. I think it's a bit like, you know, you go out in the street and you see a horse. <laughs> What's that? It's a, yeah. form of, it's a form of transport doctors use. <laughs> I put it on the horse, it's going to take it around the block. So we are stuck. We are really stuck in a lot of these things. Now, sometimes this is the practice itself. Sometimes this is a concern, and there are concerns around uh, moving sensitive medical information around in different digital forms. But a fax is not a secure thing at all. Lots of people look at faxes. They land on desks all over the place, yeah. and, and they're and not we'll- secure. And they're actually accessed by people who you may not want to access those pieces of information. It's a really dumb system. Yeah, and – also, there's security and security in the sense that surely you could say to your doctor, my kid doesn't care that anyone knows they've got a cold. We don't care if anyone knows they've got a cold. It's a pretty normal thing to have a cold. Email them. If it gets hacked, well, we'll, we'll wear the consequences. So that's really important, James, and I think this is actually a very, really important issue. And most people are pursued about this. Do you want information to travel around you to give better health care? People go, Yes. Yes, for God's sake, and actually I say as a health provider, I need that information. I mean, really? Occasionally some person sees the fact that you've had some particular problem. Really? Does that yeah. really matter compared with the adverse consequences of getting it wrong? Yeah, but there are obviously other um, other things that are more sensitive. But um, health providers, health doctors and everybody else get very sensitive about this. Oh, I've got legal obligations. I've got other obligations. Yeah. I can do other things. A lot of it is overstated. Yeah. Well, there you go. Uh, The takeout from today, obviously, is take responsibility for your own mental health records and also those for whom you, you know, particularly children, you've... um uh, you care about and, and, you know, you might have close contact with. If you've got any questions or comments, uh, if you'd like to suggest further topics for us to discuss, and thank you to all those who have, do get in touch at mindingyourmind2 at gmail.com. That's mindingyourmind2 at gmail.com. The book version of Minding Your Mind, written by Ian and myself, is available, and it covers lots of the topics we discuss in the podcast, uh, How Our Mind Works, things that can go wrong and how we can improve our mental health are the three sections in it. Mining Your Mind is supported by Future Generation Global and the generous philanthropic donations from families who support ongoing research into youth mental health. Further help's available from Headspace, Beyond Blue, Head to Health and Lifeline. You can just Google them. You can call Lifeline on 13 